0: The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with John Gilroy, managing partner of the Oakmont Group, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Federal Tech Talk with John Gilroy, managing partner at the Oakmont Group on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Every week, John speaks with public and private sector IT experts about some of the IT trends and challenges facing agencies and industry. Now your host, John Gilroy. Welcome to Federal Tech Talk with John Gilroy on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Our guest today is Tom Romeo, President, Federal Division of Maximus. Tom, how are you? I'm great, John. How are you? We had in your studio a couple of years back, and we we're talking about a lot of healthcare IT. And uh, today we want to talk about a, a topic that's, that's trending in some sections. I know you can look around and Google it and come up with the term. The term is RPA. I thought that was a, like a baseball statistic or something. <laughs> what's what's Tom's RPA? Uh, uh, <laughs> Wins against replacement? Uh, no, that's a different uh, 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 – want right? <laughs> to talk about RPAs now. Okay. So tell,
1: tell us about your background, your company, and why you even want to talk about RPAs. Uh, sure. So um, my background is i uh, been with Maximus for a little over eight years, almost nine years now. Uh, before that, I worked at IBM for 25 and worked at Accenture for a couple uh, in between. And the reason we want to talk about RPA is uh, Maximus, we do a lot of work in uh, running business processes for government, uh, and we do it very efficiently and effectively, and to uh continue down the path of being more effective and efficient. We need the use of automated tools and robotic process automation is one with a lot of promise right now. So I went to Google, typed
0: in RPA, I found out that Gartner has got quadrants for this. I mean I wouldn't I wouldn't know that.
1: I'd lose that on jeopardy completely. Yeah.
0: So is RPA a whole separate category now for business process
1: management? It is. I think if you look at kind of the move towards digital uh, RPA is one that's in there. Gartner certainly looks at the tool providers for RPA, and I think we're one of the users of multiple of those tools in improving efficiency in business process. So uh, in
0: business, you normally start off with a business problem and then a solution, so an irritation and then a solution to that. And so the problem is this. If you look at any large enterprise, Progressive Insurance, Ford Motor Company, Department of Interior. Undoubtedly, there are a lot of processes where data is collected and there are human beings that may be not using their time efficiently in collecting some of this data. And so the proposed solution with RPA is let's take and automate some of these functions. Now, that's been talked about for years and years. What we're doing is we're trying to automate some of these basic functions. It's not really worth a human's time. Is that right?
1: That's right. I I think uh, the idea really is to allow the human to do tasks that are more complicated and more suited to uh, human's time and effort rather than a repetitive task that becomes uh, too monotonous. GSA
0: says that uh, they're going to double some of their investments in RPAs. So is
1: GSA the, the thought leader in this in the government, or why is GSA even interested in this topic? Uh, I think they're one of the thought leaders, but the president uh, has put out an executive order that said we should – Use humans for more complex tasks and move those humans into more meaningful roles. I think GSA is acting on that as are multiple other agencies. So the concept
0: here is uh, is, is not you know I mean you know I've been around for a couple of years and I remember Excel spreadsheets using macros and then the computer programmers use scripts and essentially it's a, an automating a process that's manual. But this is is much more than just a little macro in an Excel spreadsheet, isn't it? So what What's the difference between like a, a macro and, and an RPA?
1: Well, I think a, m- a macro could do some of the things that an RPA tool c- can do. Uh, you would have to write the macros yourself or share them. Uh, an RPA tool allows a much more sophisticated interface to provide the automation in a more uh, more efficient fashion. Uh, and it also allows you to create rpa bots, which is what they call them, uh, that are reusable and you can categorize them so that you don't have to recreate them constantly. It would seem to me that um, if you had a very,
0: very narrow targeted rules-based process, this would be an application for it. So if you went into a large organization like um, – John Deere tractor <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you had a, a you could only apply RPA to a very specific, maybe small limited set. Is that correct?
1: I, I think that's right. You're looking for characteristics in the process that would lend themselves to RPA. So an example may be that John Deere might take orders and they might take some of them electronically and some of them in paper. Uh, and they maybe need to re-enter data into another system. And that re entry of data, especially when it's already typed into a, a form, um, is very repetitive and could be automated pretty, pretty easily by an RPA tool.
0: And that's why I thought of an insurance company, because a lot of insurance forms have to be filled in carefully, and maybe if there is a, uh, 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 some kind of a claim, they may have to be refilled in or something. Or imagine there's a process in the federal government where you have the data and you have to duplicate that data, and, and just the process of re-entering that data means
1: mistakes.: Exactly. So that, that is a common use, is taking data from one point and re-entering it into another point.
0: So one of the benefits then would be improving data quality. I mean I'm sure if I were hawking RPA, I'd say, well, number one, what this does is because it eliminates the humans in this, you're not going to have a transposed number,
1: right? Right? I imagine that's the case. That absolutely is one of the benefits of the case. If you're doing that rekeying as a monotonous, repetitive job, the likelihood that you're going to make an error eventually is pretty high. The likelihood that a tool is going to make an error if it's cutting and pasting information is very low.
0: So we have a uh, closet that my wife wanted to redo last week and so we redid the closet. I got a drill. And I drilled a hole. It's great. And I'm a human being with a drill. I have one hole. And uh, it was the right size hole. I got lucky. If I had a robot do this, automate it, and I drilled a hole, it would be great and much more efficient. However, if I had the wrong size drill bit and I drilled 100 holes, all of a sudden the robotic, the process is not very efficient, is it? And so this, you have to be very, very careful about this.
1: You, you do. There are, uh, there are several areas that actually could lead to problems. So yes, uh, you could m- make mistakes much faster with an RPA than you could with a human. So you want to make sure that you've tested everything and thoroughly uh, vetted it before you would use the automation. And there are other uh, changes. So let's say, for instance, that the form changed. The RPA tool is not going to pick that up. You're going to get a lot of errors, and you're going to have to go back and correct for that. So is this called human-in-the-loop? There always is a human-in-the-loop because there will always be exceptions to the rule – and those exceptions are usually filtered off into a bucket and a human handles the exceptions.
0: It's true with installing shelves because I could draw have eight holes for a shelf and seven will go perfectly and that eighth hole is going to have some wiring component behind it. And you just don't know, do you? I mean, you've done it too. And so that eighth hole is going to kill you.
1: It is. Yeah, especially if there's wires behind it.
0: No doubt about it. And so uh, – not, so I understand – a little bit understand better why GSA wants to come up with some kind of a, a, a community of practice or some kind of a group that can get together and look at federal applications and get a wide variety of opinions, sit down and say, well, this is a, an application from this agency. This would be a candidate for automating and this other might not be a candidate. So the yeah. planning process, I, I think just, just
1: looking at candidates for RPAs is, is probably 30 percent of the work just planning it. It is. I think, you know, we, we've we seen that there are several categories of tools that can be reused. So one is the uh, kind of copy from one point to another point that we talked about. Another is a retriever. So, you know, you get to a certain point in a process where I need to go get data about John. So it goes out and picks up the data from another database and brings it back and fills in the form. So that's another tool. If you build those tools and say the purpose of this tool is to do that retrieval, then hopefully other agencies could pick up that tool and say, well, what we're looking for is a retriever. Let's uh, modify this one to fit the need.
0: So you can can take almost off-the-shelf software and modify it for applications – and again, this is after the planning's all done and uh, the unintended consequences are examined of what can happen if you have the wrong
1: size drill hole. Hmm? Right, exactly. So you're always going to want to go through a normal development process of making sure that your requirements fit the tool, making sure that you've tested the outcomes and that you're getting the exact outcome that you were hoping for.
0: When you watch science fiction movies... The humans are always asleep, and there's a robot that takes care of the ship. And But people don't realize that those robots have to be maintained. Right. What we want to do is take a break and come back and talk about maintenance on these processes and, and forms changing. And then maybe a, a rule that may be of interest to a couple of our listeners is something called compliance. And, and where does yeah, compliance right. fit in all this? Right. Makes perfect sense. You are listening to Federal Tech Talk with John Gilroy on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Today we're speaking with Tom Romeo – President Federal Division, Maximus. Welcome back to Federal Tech Talk with John Gilroy on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Today, our guest is Tom Romeo, President Federal Division at Maximus. Well, before the break, we were talking about um, sometimes the robots themselves need to be maintained. Right, and so uh, I don't. Know, I just think you plug in the robot and does it does. I was at a friend's house, and he had his neighbor had a robot mowing the lawn, <laughs> and it taught the robot. And you never think you have to maintain it, but I'm sure that lawnmower device has to be maintained, and I'm sure that even uh, scripts or macros or software that has uh, automatic processes has to be maintained. How's this
1: maintenance? How's this built into the whole process? Well, again, I think there's human involvement constantly, and You know, one of the uh, circumstances that I mentioned in the first section is if you're taking information from a screen or a form and then you're populating another screen or form or database, if one of those things changes, the whole process falls apart. So the maintenance of that situation is that you need to be ready to make modifications for the robotic process automation to ensure that it works effectively.
0: Automation has to be built in. I, for some reason, I was thinking back of a, a Saab I owned in the 1970s. <laughs> it broke down all the time. It was a yeah. terrible car. Yeah. really a bad car. And uh it dawned on me that I could probably paint the Saab. It would still be a bad car. <laughs> and so if you have a bad process, if you automate that
1: process, it's still going to be a bad process, isn't it? It is. And I, it for in the IT world, there's been a, a phrase out there for years, Uh paving the cow path. Ah, uh, Still going the wrong direction
0: or something, huh? Right,
1: exactly. And you may not want to do that, right? You might want to flatten it out and actually (laughs) build a road instead. And processes are the same thing, right? If you look at a process and say, we're just going to apply RPA to that process, it's the wrong approach. You really have to look at the process first and say, is this something that we do want to automate? And is it working today in a way that would Uh, allow us to use automation to get the most effective result.
0: So let's say uh, one of our listeners in an agency here uh, joins this community of practice uh, at the GSA and and talking, hey, I've got this problem with this case management system. I'm wondering if I could uh, apply RPA and maybe reduce some of the workload here, limit some of the errors go back and forth and back and forth. And uh, and maybe there's a miracle and uh, my daughter's working and she figures it out because she's smart and it's going real well. But inevitably, in October or in January, there's going to be some new requirement yeah. where there's going to have to be all left-handed people who right. fill out this form must wear green hats on Tuesday. There's going to be some kind of a strange change. Right. And so how do you design an automatic system to be
1: flexible and absorb changes like new requirements or new new regulations. Yeah, I think you have to look at the new requirements as an addition to the existing work. And I, we see the same challenge in uh, the processes that we automate today. So, you know, I've used the example of taking information from a form and filling in a screen. Well, what if some of that information comes in paper and some of it is not typed, but it's handwritten? Then... The RPA tool is not a tool that will recognize handwritten input. So then you have a decision to make. Do I automate everything except for the handwritten, or do I cross over into artificial intelligence and try to recognize what the handwriting is? And I think those are business decisions that say maybe automating 85% of the process is good, and we can do that fairly easily. When we start to move off into the AI and recognizing the handwriting, it's going to be a much more significant effort. We're going to have a lot more testing. We're going to have a lot more errors coming out of the process. So recognizing your boundaries and when you're getting the best business benefit, I think, is a key to using RPA tools.
0: We're sitting here in the studios of Federal News Radio. Two doors down is a gentleman by the name of Jason Miller, way smarter than me and he wrote an article where he kind of looked at the view from 40,000 feet of of what the government's spending money on in IT and he looks at three categories he looks at cyber big data and and virtual storage virtual memory and he said well these are like you know building components for RPA it's like okay. these three major components are setting people up for RPA it's like well what does RPA need well it it needs you know big data it needs virtual systems and cybersecurity for building blocks for this. it seems like it's all roads are heading towards this RPA, whether it's a buzzword, whether it works or doesn't work. It seems like everything's setting up for this process.
1: It is. And I, and I think applying the RPA tools to things like cybersecurity, where there are a lot of repetitive tasks. So one of the discussions I've had internally with my team is that when we have someone leave the company, you need to turn off their ID and you need to do it in a fairly obviously quick way fashion and so we have someone on watch basically on the weekends as well so the manager has to say yes this person has left once that happens there's a pretty defined process that says okay we're going to eliminate this user id from our system that is a great rpa model and it's one that helps improve our cybersecurity environment
0: i was over in Roslyn having coffee with someone and uh we're talking about Roslyn over the years, who's there now, um, Nestle's in Roslyn now, a lot of people from Nestle, and Deloitte's in a big, big community of Deloitte people. They're at coffee shops in Roslyn, believe it or not. So I went to Deloitte and started looking at this topic, RPA. Now, Deloitte writes papers about RPA, right? And they said that, OK, listen here, everyone, stand up. We're Deloitte. We know everything. And And if you automate 30 percent of your tasks – it doesn't mean you can have a 30 percent reduction in cost, is it? I think this is the the basic simple John Gilroy math of one, one is two right. and beyond that. I mean so if you have a process that – is there a way to predict cost savings or time savings or
1: – what's the ratio here? Uh, so I think that the comment is true. Uh, we talked a little bit about having human involvement for uh, – anomalies with the RPA system. So you're not going to eliminate the person's job. You're going to bring more complex problems for them to resolve and you're going to improve the quality. And I think those are good outcomes and good benefits. I don't think there is a strict uh, 30% of people out, 30% of savings. Uh, I think you have to look at each business case and say, how is this going to work? So I'll give you another example. Let's say that I have 20 people and that the RPA process that I'm going to automate is 3% of their job. Well, I'm not eliminating people. I'm eliminating 3% of the work of multiple people. So how does that translate into savings? So going back to our earlier comment, we'd have to ask ourselves, why were we asking those people to do the repetitive tasks? Maybe we should have organized it in a way that that was not part of their job responsibility, and maybe they can do more of the other work that they're doing. But that leads to a complication, John. A complicated answer to your question. So, how much did I save in that environment?
0: And and that's you know, mobile phone. Okay, did, has the mobile phone saved me gas? Well, I can guarantee you, it saved me tons and tons of with my kids and run here and not there. Airport, I mean, but I can't really. I can't really measure it. I can't say, oh, yeah, that saved me $32 in gasoline because I didn't go to the wrong airport because my daughter got re- rescheduled. Right. So I can't really say that. But but there's there's some processes here just anyway to take in best practice of reducing errors and reducing errors. Um, so I have read that RPA reduces a business cycle, the process cycle. So does it reduce the process cycle because uh, of reduced errors? Does it reduce it because uh, less human involvement? Why – I guess the why. Why does it
1: reduce the cycle – itself? Uh, It's very fast. It can work 24 hours. And uh, so it can handle a very large volume of transactions over that 24 hour period. So while a human may look at something and key it into the system, the RPA tool is going to do it faster, but it can do it without breaks, and it can do it 24 by 7.
0: So I've read about crawlers. So is this similar to a crawler? crawler is something different completely. crawlers. I'm getting these terms all confused. A crawler, a script, a macro, and an RPA. These are all similar type or or completely different?
1: Well, I think you could use a crawler to uh, feed an RPA system. So I talked earlier about the idea that, that one use of an RPA might be a retriever. So if you were looking to integrate data into a large database and it was on a certain Topic, and you want it to stay current on that topic, you would use a crawler to go out there oh, and continually just... monitor, and then the RPA tool could take it and say, This is where I populate that. So, crawlers are perfect for cybersecurity, then, wouldn't it? it, it they are, absolutely. Well, exactly, for firewall
0: maintenance, too. Let's take a break, come back. I want to talk more about structured and unstructured data and and the quality of data. And I, I've got some quotes from previous guests, and I want to bounce them off to you. and. And see what you have to say. You're listening to Federal Tech Talk with John Gilroy here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Our guest today, Tom Romeo, president, Federal Division at Maximus. Welcome back to Federal Tech Talk with John Gilroy here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Today, we're speaking with Tom Romeo, president, Federal Division at Maximus. M-A-X-I-M-U-S dot com. So what can they find there? Any goodies? I mean, why should you visit that site?
1: Yeah, so uh, there are multiple white papers and some of our experiences with RPA up on the website. Uh, If you go to Maximus.com and look at the Insights section, uh, you'll find some of that. There's also some interviews and publications that we've put out into the marketplace. So uh, if you just go search on Google for Maximus and RPA, I think you'll find a lot of information out there.
0: Are you involved with the GSA folks with this community of practice, the
1: R-P-A-C-O-P? Are you involved in that group? Not specifically that group. We are very involved with GSA and their communities of practice overall. Uh, done a lot of work with them on contact centers um, and some of the other initiatives that they have. We'd love to get involved more with the RPA group. So, is that a center of no?
0: Is a center of excellence what the government has, or center? Of, would that be something Maximus would have? What exactly is a center of excellence?
1: Well, I think the term in general means that uh, there are a group of resources who have experience and uh, bring that subject matter expertise to projects, but it could take on multiple forms. So, you know, GSA could be supplying best practices around RPA but not resources to help agencies implement RPA projects, or they could be uh, in the old days of 18F actually sending people out to help with digital implementations and lending them to the agencies. We at uh, Maximus have a group of subject matter experts who are uh, focused on the implementation of our digital tool sets, including RPA. And a lot of our projects we do for the government are done on a basis where we're paid on a uh, per-student basis or a per-appeal basis. And by driving efficiency into those when we come back later and uh, rebid, we drive the price down for the government. I'm just thinking maybe you should have a
0: webinar like, uh, is your agency a good fit for RPA? Is your agency, is your project a good fit? And if you could put that on like a webinar and people would would just tap in and, and not necessarily just learn about, see if there it might be a good little baby step. So yeah. here's what we've done. Here's here's a problem. Here's the solution. Maybe a good fit for you. Maybe not. Here's some tools that you may want to use. and. I'm, just, I'm thinking webinars in the mind here, but I think that's a real nice people don't have to leave their office, they don't have to commit to anything, they don't have to, you know, have any kind of RFP or RFI or whatever's going on there.
1: I, I think that'd be a great idea, but and you know, I think one of the biggest challenges is organizational resistance. If you go to someone who's doing that job of rekeying the data and you say to them, we would like you for you to help us automate this they are gonna think this is a threat to my job why should I help you automate my job uh, maybe but uh,
0: I, I think well, a human being we will be able to do other things or use a better skill set but that but I think the whole idea of a good fit would be a, a nice neutral uh, approach for, for something like that I'm um, I'm thinking about design plan and government now when you design system you plan a system like this I keep I keep falling back on a quote from a guest I had six months ago, John Cofrancesco. And he said that uh, a lot of uh, government, federal IT people are data rich and information poor. Well, wow, I'm going to tattoo that on my arm. <laughs> I mean, so they have big data. It's great. Right. And can this big data help them make decisions? Or, and so so in the planning process, there must be some filter in, involved with, you know, if you can change a process, change is that part of the planning as well? Just that? The information part
1: itself? It is. The approach we took actually was went to a project team or a business area and said, okay, let's go into a room and do some brainstorming about potential areas that could benefit from robotic process automation. So then you get in a room and we actually came up with a hundred ideas. And then we said, okay, now let's take those and rank them as to what the business benefit would be if we automated them And how difficult it's going to be to automate them. And we ranked all of the projects before we selected which ones we were going to go with. Interestingly enough, we did not select the highest value ones first because we wanted to get the experience of lessons learned. So we took some of the easier ones first and said, okay, may not give us the biggest value, but we're going to learn a lot before we try to tackle bigger value ones. Yeah,
0: do a couple five mile swims before you do the English Channel. Yeah, good idea. <laughs> or maybe two mile swims. Anything.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: There is a big movement in the federal government, as you know, towards open source and uh, open data, open source, whatever's open. Uh, so, are the tools that you use these open source tools, are these proprietary tools, or these tools from Google, or what kind of tools do you use? Or do you write them yourself?
1: Um, no, we're not writing them ourselves. There are multiple tools out in the marketplace. I'm sure there are open source tools uh, as well. Uh, but tools like uh, Automation Anywhere are out there now to have caught on in a big way in the marketplace. Uh, UiPath is another one. And so, um, you know, I think uh, spending the time to rewrite the tool wouldn't be an effective use of your time. The tools are built to be able to quickly implement robotic processes, and I, I think using the tools is the best approach.
0: I went to the UiPath website and they ostensibly are based in New York, but it looks like all their people are like Danish or from the Netherlands or all German or something. It seems like it's a big um, a big deal in Europe. It, is Europe leading in this whole area America falling behind? Or I just – since the company is just so obvious, they're like Sven and Olgi and all kinds of you know, like <laughs> Swedish names or something. Yeah. Is this popular yeah. in Europe and just gaining popularity here?
1: No, I don't think so. I, I think we're – at least equal with where Europe is, um and you know John, you mentioned earlier you know the confusion between macros from um from the past and using those tools we've had similar situations before it was called screen scraping, and mm-hmm. we had tools that Probably allowed us to do that uh, but I think this the level of sophistication of the tools has increased dramatically. And the efficiency of the tools has increased dramatically, and that's what the difference is.
0: So, if you look at a, a crawler, that's just one small piece of software. Macros and scripts maybe are the the early stages of RPA. And so, what an RPA process can do is it it can it can operate on a, can operate on its own right. because a script you open um, run the script, right? so, an RPA can run on its own and it can adapt or not learn Is it learn the right
1: word? Can it learn? Machine learning? I mean, is this where it applies? Um, I, I think machine learning is an additional step to RPA. So I think you can train an RPA tool with machine learning. So you could say we rejected this. The human could go back in and help train it by saying this was the reason for that rejection. And the tool can then learn to adapt to uh, picking up um, more – exceptions and reducing the number of exceptions.
0: So the way for my little brain to wrap myself around this concept is that um, the robotic process can can emulate a human being and do it much more fast – faster in 24 hours I said we can emulate. However, to, to go to the next level, to go into the major leagues <laughs> and to go from the bush leagues to the major leagues – You have to use artificial intelligence, which can really put that turbocharger on a human's ability. So if you can emulate just what I can do, that's great. That's just going to make it faster. That's going to not take it to the next level. So the emulation is one thing, and that's a difficult process in itself. But the leap to AI,
1: that's the leap. It is. And I I think you know if we go back to automation of, let's say, the automobile industry, the repetitive task of putting a bolt into a hole, it was something that a robot can do. Just put it in, put it in, put it in. All of a sudden, let's say we discovered that out of that process, on the one out of 25 times, it doesn't hit the hole correctly. Mm -hmm. So what are we going to do about that, right? We're going to take a look at the quality and the reasons behind that. We're going to go back to the robot and say, okay, we've corrected the problem. Maybe the hole wasn't lined up correctly or the bolt wasn't the right bolt, but we're going to solve that problem.
0: There is the Internet of Things with sensors everywhere in the medical world, all kinds of data coming in. If you talk to the folks at the Air Force, there are sensors all over everywhere in planes now, all kinds of data coming in, and it brings up the point of structured and unstructured data. Yeah. And and from my layman's perspective, it would seem to me that a lot of this data must be very, very structured and carefully organized in order for uh, this robotic process to take advantage of it. Let's take a break, come back and talk more about structured and unstructured data and the ability of these automated processes to handle that, so you have systems that are they're not structured and then changing, it just seems like a, a more complicated process than you'd ostensibly look at if you just think robotic. I mean there's a lot of, a lot of moving parts in this whole process. Let's take a break, come yeah. back, talk more about um, the moving parts in this whole automated process. You're listening to Federal Tech Talk with John Gilroy on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Today, we are speaking with Tom Romeo, president, federal division, Maximus. Welcome back to Federal Tech Talk with John Gilroy on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Today we're speaking with Tom Romeo, president, Federal Division at Maximus. And there's a topic we forgot completely, Tom. What about the human beings? Forget Mm -hmm. about these robots. Mm -hmm. Forget about the systems. The people who are listening to this are human beings working for federal agencies. You know, they go to work at 9 o'clock in the morning. You try to leave at 5 or 6. They put their head against the wall and have all kinds of headaches.
1: And so what is the impact? On people, on all these robotic processes, good or bad? I think it's very good. I I think we're trying to uh, make their jobs more interesting and uh, let them be uh, challenged and do the work that we know they can do. The federal government's had challenges with hiring people uh, recently, but for quite a while now. And so having enough people to do the work is a challenge. So making sure that the people that we do have in the government can do work that gives meaningful results is a big piece of what I think this uh, initiative is all about. It's almost like if you're an
0: agency and your funding is frozen and you have 10 people to do an increased workload, well, you can either not do the workload or find a way to automate it. And this is is one real use of, of uh, reducing the need for people and, and getting more out of the staff that you have. I guess that's the best application for it.
1: It is. And I think it gives people a career path. So if you start as someone an entry job and you can automate some of that entry level job, you move up into a a job that's a little more challenging and a little more valuable. When I
0: started studying about RPA, I thought that the the perfect fit would be a commercial bank. That's the first I thought of. I thought of a big bank and they got all these fraudsters are trying to scam people and bad loans and bad credit cards. And and they'd be able to find out through a system whether or not there's a duplicate social security number or a date of birth or something. And I, uh, I'm wondering if that – so finance, is that the leading application the federal government? thinks some financial applications or are the ones more logical?
1: Uh, I think finance is one area that's got a lot of uh, use to it, a lot of promise to it for RPA. But I think any administrative task that has a repetitive nature to it, it could be uh, – a good candidate. So whether that's, you know, uh, accepting um, uh, PTO applications and assembling them into a file uh, so that the, the patent and trade um, reviewer doesn't have to go searching for those files. Those are great applications for tools like this. So I think across the government, when you look at the intake of information that they have, that Probably any agency will find areas that could be extremely uh, beneficial for by applying the tool.
0: Well, software as a service sure made a name for itself. Then there's infrastructure as a service, and there's everything's as a service these days. Is this RPA a candidate for RPA as a service? There's there's a new phrase for you. Is, is this a, put in the cloud? And and you talked about pulling different tools off. Is, is this yeah. a candidate for that? I don't know.
1: You know, I think the tools are definitely uh, cloud-based tools. Then you could use RPA tools as a um, as a service. Uh, the bots that I talked about, you know, where you could have reusable bots, a retriever versus a copier. Then you could store those certainly up in a cloud-based environment and pull them from there. But if you remember what we talked about earlier, it's about redesigning the process before you automate it, and that's going to have to be done within the agency, with smart people who understand the subject.
0: It's almost like I keep thinking of architects. I have a friend who's an architect and uh, they design buildings and you almost have to design your system to, to have um, uh, pathways, gateway doors that can be flexible and adapt to new compliance requirements or to new types of data. Right. Maybe instead of structured, unstructured data, there's going to be a different type of data down the future. And so the design of the system has to anticipate changes more than in the past, I think, because I don't know what the
1: okay. change is going to be. I think that's absolutely right. And I, I think actually some of the policies and rules within agencies today are, are going to have to evolve to allow the use of the tools and make them more efficient. For example, if you require um, – an employee to validate your identity all the time, then having a tool implement some of the process behind that is going to be much more difficult than if the tool could go validate your identity and automate the process in a full version. So maybe there was a policy before that said we won't allow automation to do that identification, and maybe those are uh, rules that we're going to have to uh, modify and uh, update so that we can get the best benefit out of the tool.
0: There are two agencies that seem to be the lead in this whole concept of a robotic process. One is GSA, one is NASA. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting how NASA, I, whenever the, the bleeding edge comes up the NASA people are going to jump in and try. It seems to be they're they're jumping in quickly on this, aren't they?
1: Well, I think the big benefit they have is uh, they're engineers and uh you know, by training, I think they look for scientific solutions to problems. And I think that it uh, helps that they're more, um, I think, open to changes in the way that they're doing their work to get the efficiency.
0: So, where's this all heading five years down the road here? Where, where do you predict this is going to happen? Is it warmly embraced, be rejected? People are going to say, no, we don't want really to do these bots or too limiting? Or where's it heading?
1: You know, I, I think it's uh, it's here and it's not going away. So we're going to see more use of digital tools to help humans do their jobs. So RPA is a beginning, but if we go back to a scenario that says the RPA tool could do the repetitive version of it. But there is a piece of it that takes machine learning or artificial intelligence. We're going to start to see us build on this RPA platform by using those tools to extend the work, the scope of the work that's being done by the tools and the uh, effectiveness we're getting from those tools and the assistance that those tools can provide to humans to be able to handle the more complex path.
0: I teach in the graduate school at Georgetown. I teach in the technology management program. And I guarantee there's nothing to do with robotics process automation. There's no classes that I know of. I don't know of any academic areas that are, okay, it's a RPA 101 and then RPA 102 and then graduate yeah. to machine learning. So
1: so where do people find out? Where could you learn about this? It's just so state-of-the-art. It's yeah. on the edge. Well, I think there's a lot written out there now. And certainly on our website, you can find information, Maximus.com. In the insights area. But uh, we have a chief digital officer. We're seeing many more companies and agencies move to having chief digital officers. They're publishing a lot more information. It's leading to conferences and discussions. And we at Maximus would certainly be uh, very happy to come out and talk to anyone about our experiences of using the tools internally, some of the lessons we've learned about uh, organizational change management, about business process design, and where we've seen the value and maybe some of the pitfalls that you uh, should steer away from.
0: So a chief digital officer in a commercial organization is the person who is just trying to keep up with the new stuff. I mean I mean, just maybe keeping her head above water for a couple hours a day right. and because there's so many new tools and processes. And just, just right. one little – I can name three areas where there's – brand-new tools and processes that never been dreamed of before. right? And so a chief digital officer is in charge of trying to figure out what's going on and, and maybe answering the question, are you a good fit for this new technology?
1: Right. Well, and I think the chief digital officer ultimately should be very tightly coupled with the citizen engagement lead for the agencies because that experience that we're getting from uh, Amazon and Kayak and when we go out onto the commercial websites – Now we come back to our government agencies and we expect that kind of digital experience. And the combination of a chief chief digital officer and a citizen experience officer or a citizen engagement officer leads to a better experience for the citizen. And and the PMA
0: in in my world, the president's management agenda, goal number six is uh – focus on the high value, not the low value, to improve customer service. It's almost to improve customer – well, why do that? Well, to improve customer service or citizen service. This is the – between the lines here between this is like why would you do that? To improve customer service. If you're a bank, why would you look at RPA? To improve customer service, to reduce risk, reduce fraud, and getting people in trouble. I mean that's the ultimate person. And so the whole customer – client citizen-facing site, the objective is to how you improve services to citizen is is by using RPA because that'll reduce cost for your staff time and increase efficiencies. If, that, if that's the bottom line, maybe that's yeah. it. The bottom line is improve citizen services.
1: I think it is. If we go back to the example before of if we need a human to validate your identity, then the effectiveness of them being able to self-service online is pretty limited. If you allow them to use multi-factor authentication, and collect information with an RPA tool to get them their file, then, you know, in seconds they could uh, solve the problem that they're looking to solve.
0: RPA Robotics Process Automation.
1: The brave new world.
0: You've been listening to Federal Tech Talk with John Gilroy on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'd like to thank my guest, Tom Romeo, President, Federal Division, Maximus. You've been listening to Federal Tech Talk with John Gilroy, managing partner at the Oakmont Group on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Tuesday afternoons at 1 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.